0: Love,
1: Hope, radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on The Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. TED lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, TED and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart.
2: And welcome to this latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining us today for this, our holiday show. And as always here on our holiday show, K. Sprinkle Grace will be our page two expert. We've got a lot to cover because this is the last live show of 2015. We'll be coming back, and I'll share more details on when the show comes back uh, in the new year. So uh, gear up, and uh, make sure you go to com, where you will find all of our hundreds of podcasts on almost every topic facing the nonprofit sector, of course, always free of charge and available for download to listen to uh, via uh, your iPhone, iPod, or however you listen to podcasts. So um, you can also join us over in the chat room. I see some folks over in the chat room. You can join us there and ask questions. As the announcer mentioned, you can call in to speak to our Page 2 expert, K. Sprinkle Grace at 347-324-3080, or you can email me your questions today. At Ted Hart at TedHart.com. As always, here on the nonprofit coach, we start with page one news. There is lots of news in the philanthropic sector, particularly here at holiday time. Uh, one of our very good friends here on the Nonprofit Coach is Rachel Hutchinson. Uh, she is the Vice President for Corporate uh, Citizenship and Philanthropy at Blackbaud. And they were huge supporters of Giving Tuesday this year. And Rachel, you've got some very exciting news about Giving Tuesday. So welcome back here to the Nonprofit Coach.
0: Well, thank you so much, Ted. It really was a great Giving Tuesday. It was the most successful Giving Tuesday so far in its fourth year. You know, we saw some really exciting numbers, and and what's so exciting to us about that is that at Blackbud we have this fundamental belief that the world would be better if good took over, and nonprofits are so fundamental to that good, because they're on the front line of need every single day. And Giving Tuesday is such a great movement, because it shines a spotlight on the nonprofit community and the work that they're doing, and we hope helps expand how many people are actually giving. So uh, do you want to know the numbers?
2: You have some evidence of that uh, for this year, so please share the news.
0: Yeah. So this year, um, Blackboard processed more than forty, uh, almost forty million dollars in online giving on Giving Tuesday, and that represented more than five thousand organizations in our set, and represented a fifty-two percent increase over last year, which is just huge.
2: That, that is huge, and as you said, one of the terrific things about Giving Tuesday is it's not about giving to one organization over another organization or even competition among charities. It is simply the act of giving during the holiday season, so it's sort of the, the purest of intent, and Blackbaud gave this uh, terrific platform. Uh, for charities to be able to use. And, of course, Giving Tuesday is much bigger than just Blackbot But, wow, 50-plus percent increase. What do you attribute that to in one year?
0: You know, I think it, it, the movement's in its fourth year, and so it really is catching on, and more organizations are realizing that it's, it's a moment to amplify their own messages. And that's what I love about it. Giving T- Tuesday kind of rises the tide for everyone, but organizations are out there talking about what they are doing that day, and the money is going to those causes. And I know just in terms of, um, you know, one of the things we do, people use our systems to handle their email and their fundraising campaigns. We sent out 130 million emails on Tuesday on behalf of our customers, which is just a huge amount we We used to not see that kind of volume on the last day of the year, but you know what that shows is a shift that more organizations are engaging in online giving and online interaction with their um constituents, and more people are really understanding that these movements have a whole heck of a lot of power, so it's a really exciting result and just means more money to a lot of really really deserving nonprofits.
2: Yeah, I really feel that one of the the, the uh, strides that we hit this year with Giving Tuesday is that it sort of became Giving and Stewardship Tuesday. Because it was about giving, but I think really for the first time this year, more and more charities got the message that sharing information about how they use philanthropic dollars, the difference that they're making and the impact that they're making, which, of course, we've got Case Sprinkle Grace here uh, speaking about impact today and social impact for organizations. So it couldn't be better timing uh, for how giving also leads to great good, as you said.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you, you can't have giving without a whole lot of thank yous that follow. And I, my colleague, Steve McLaughlin, did a wonderful blog about Thank You Wednesday and, and how, you know, giving doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's just Giving Tuesday is one day when people are giving, and it's really a part of this whole incredible coordinated online and offline effort for nonprofits to to generate um, the incredible, you know, funds they need to do their work. Um, so it's a, it's, But it is a big day because a lot of major media and outlets and things that don't typically focus on on philanthropy are shining a light on that and that's a way for us to to get to people who maybe haven't been active in philanthropy before. Mm-hmm.
2: And I also think that uh, for those of us who, who recognize the fact that uh, there are lots of different people represented in this country, lots of different religions and, and uh, lots of different faiths, um, while we think of year-end as you know maybe the Christmas holiday, there are lots of holidays that take place between uh, now and over what we might consider to be the holiday uh, period. And Giving Tuesday covers all of that. Giving Tuesday is um a, a, a general way for all faiths, all people, um, all Americans um, and people around the world to think about their favorite terrible causes and to use that as um, sort of a, a touch point to say, I do give, I do care, and I do make a difference.
0: Yeah, I always say that good is for everyone, you know, and one of the things that I love about Giving Tuesday is, you know, it's a movement, so it has no borders, you know, it's for anybody around the world, it's for my 15 year old son, it's for my 79 year old mother, it's for cities, it's for you know, small businesses. It's for big businesses. It's for nonprofits. It's for everyone, and it has this low barrier of entry where you can just do something. And it may be, although we focus a lot on the dollars and the volume, you, you know, you can be using your voice, you can be serving, you can do anything that that's you right. want to do yeah, to help show that you're a part of a, a giving community. That's right.
2: right, and we have a very big giving community. And uh, next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, we're going to learn more about just how big that uh, giving community here uh, is uh, in the United States. Rachel Hutchinson, thank you again. You're always welcome here on the Nonprofit Coach. Keep up the great work over at Blackbot, and certainly the support that you folks uh, provide to Giving Tuesday is evidence uh, by the great results that you were able to bring to the charities that use your platform.
0: Thanks so much, Ted
2: happy holidays. Um, We are now going to uh, bring on uh, Rob Mitchell. Rob has also uh, been here on the Nonprofit Coach uh, many, many times. Always brings us fascinating information uh, based on, as we always say, Rob, uh, helping nonprofits make decisions based on data. Uh, And uh, you represent Atlas of Giving. Welcome back here to the Nonprofit Coach.
3: Thanks, Ted. Good to be here.
2: So, Rob, um, we we understand from the data that you have published that 2015 giving will finish higher than anticipated, so where you were with us early in the year making predictions for how the year-end uh, will look, can you tell us how you what you anticipate 2015 to look like when we close the books on 2015, but give us a peek into uh, what nonprofits should be planning for uh, in terms of what's going to happen in 2016?
3: Sure. Well... Um thankfully, uh, so far, giving in 2015 has been wonderfully better than we originally forecast in our initial forecast in, in January of <clears throat> 2015. And as you know, we update our forecast each month based on uh, conditions and uh, economic conditions events as they change. And so... Um, Uh, through October, giving has exceeded $400 billion. That is up 6.1% from the same period of 2015. And we anticipate that giving will end the year right now at $481 billion, which is a 5.5% increase over 2014. And that would be an
2: all-time historical high, is that correct?
3: That will be an all-time historical high, for dollars it would not be an all time historical high for growth, but um okay. yes, for dollars it's uh it's historic
2: well, we just heard the report from Rachel Hutchinson over at blackbot uh and uh the the indications and the data shows that giving Tuesday was huge um showing uh, at Blackbot over fifty percent increase year after year uh so in its fourth year that's certainly contributing. Uh, to people's focus on philanthropy. Is that going to carry over to 2016?
4: It
3: will, um, but um, our 12-month forecast today for the next 12 months through next October is for giving growth of 3.2 percent. So giving is slowing. And there are two reasons that we suspect based on our our algorithms that that is occurring one is that though we did have a um a uh, slight stock market correction this year there is still a stock market correction to come um that that will make a difference in um in 2016 and the other thing is a rise in interest rates. And any time a rise in interest rates occurs, uh, there is less disposable income for individuals specifically. And as you know, individuals account for 74% of all giving in the U- U.S. So right, right. Um, it affects individuals, it affects corporations, it also affects foundations and donor-advised funds. So um, those two things uh, we expect are going to begin to slow growth. In in 2016, the good news is that there is growth. Um, uh, the the bad news is that the growth is slowing.
2: Yeah, uh, one question that I get asked um, uh, often by those that are trying to plan ahead for nonprofits, looking at a presidential election year in the United States. Um is there essentially one pot of money that donations come from and either you know when you're in a presidential election year does philanthropic giving get hit slightly by an uptick in giving uh to political candidates during a presidential year
3: Unquestionably um it is that now that is not to say that everyone who gives philanthropically gives politically um, there are some people who give politically who do not give philanthropically but um there is on, there's only uh a, a defined uh, pot of um disposable income for both corporations and, and and individuals and uh so during a presidential election campaign we always notice a um a, a decrease in philanthropic giving
2: so uh, the bottom line is we're going to end 2015 higher that's good news for all of our listeners and uh, as we're all planning for budgets for 2016 and looking ahead uh, you are not seeing a downturn in giving uh, but not quite the rapid rate of growth that we have experienced uh, particularly um, since your mid-year analysis of uh, of the philanthropic sector would that be fair analysis of what you're saying today
3: uh, completely fair, and um, I, I guess my advice to those who are planning their fiscal year budgets based on charitable giving is that they they be cautious and um, uh, not be overly optimistic in what they expect to get. Um, to plan for somewhere between 3 and 4% growth in giving in 2016 would be prudent.
2: Very prudent advice always coming from uh, the folks over at Atlas of Giving, represented by Rob Mitchell. Rob, keep up the great work. We look forward to uh, having you uh, on the show uh, early in the new year as you start making your 2016 predictions and evaluating the uh, the details, and I'm sure that uh, you'll be working with, Our show producer, uh, Diane Peach, uh, who is uh, uh, going to uh, be reaching out to you, no doubt, to make sure that we continue to stay on touch uh, with a very moving market, uh, which is the growth in the philanthropic sector today. Rob Mitchell, thank you, and happy holidays.
3: Thanks, Ted. Happy holidays to you and uh, to all the listeners. Thanks a bunch.
2: You got it. Thank you. Uh, and uh, as we uh, now prepare to turn the page to our page to experts, um, I just want to remind you that this is our holiday show, uh, and this will be the, the last show of 2015. So make sure that you are bookmarking com, where you can go and find uh, podcasts. Of course, always free of charge and available to any nonprofit organization that would like to learn from the experts that we have on this show, experts like our next guest here, on the nonprofit coach. Hey, Sprinkle Grace, CFRE, is someone who uh, I don't think really needs much introduction uh, because she is literally an icon in the nonprofit sector, one of the, the wisest women that I know, and she is a San Francisco-based organizational consultant providing workshops and consultation to lucky nonprofit organizations locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. Uh, she and I have had an opportunity to work together many times, and I have to tell you, you're lucky when you can get on her schedule, as we are today. She is an expert in strategic development planning case and board development, staff development, other issues related to leadership of the nonprofit fundraising process. Her discussion today, I think, and and I really appreciate the topic that she's chosen uh, for our year-end discussion today, um, will enlighten listeners on sharing our space, meaning the nonprofit space, with other social impact organizations. And the true gift to our communities is the power of partnership and the ability to affect change. Welcome back here to the nonprofit coach, Kay Sprinkle-Grace.
4: Thank you, Ted Hart. I am thrilled to be here and thrilled to talk about gifting at this time and what splendid reports uh, from Blackbaud and um, just hearing about Giving Tuesday and then getting a a glimpse into what we can anticipate, not only in year-end results this year, but also for next year, even some cautionary tales. And this season, Ted, you know, is as you said, it's, it's about gifting in so many ways. And whether you're celebrating Hanukkah now or looking forward to Christmas or Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate, we do know that things really uh, come to mind during this time of year of uh, the importance of giving. And, of course, that's what our sector is based on. But as I thought about this, and I, of course, uh, dedicated my my later years to the study of philanthropy and about giving. And obviously, philanthropy is about the gifts we receive as well as the gifts that we in our sector give. Those gifts are life and care and support and comfort, intervention, enrichment. We do all those things. But as I pride myself on being a trend spotter and the trend that I have seen and seen various reactions to within our sector, that trend is that our space, that philanthropy really owned the, the community impact space for so long, we don't own it alone anymore. And I want to emphasize, it's not that we don't own it, it's that we don't own it alone. And I say, hooray. There was a very significant quote by Jean Case, uh, who with her husband, Steve, uh, founded the Case Foundation, and it was made at the close of the White House Conference on Philanthropy three years ago. And in it, she said, the problems in our society, the crises that need to be met, the chronic situations are simply too much for any one, you know, group of organizations to manage. And... Clearly, we have come into a time when we have opened the doors of philanthropy, not only to philanthropists of all ages, all colors, gender, everything, which is so fabulous, but we have also opened it to other kinds of organizations that want to get in and make our communities a better place. And that's what I want to focus on today, Ted, because I want us to think about not only the gift this provides us in solving the critical and chronic uh, and enrichment needs of our communities, but also, how do we relate in this partnership? And I think that we have looked at the different players in our space a lot, and sometimes it's with a lifted eyebrow, which I am doing right now, if you could see me, and other times it's with open arms, and other times it is, unfortunately, like circling the wagons. I was seated next to a very good friend of mine at a concert the other evening, and she asked me what I was doing, and I said, well, I said, I'm really working very, very hard on the changing face of philanthropy, the changing fabric of philanthropy, trend spotting, and I said, what I see is this wonderfully populated space now, that if we could just partner, we could solve so many things that have been around a way, you know, way, way too long. And she said, oh, I know what you mean. She said, and she named an organization with which we're both familiar, a real bootstrap organization in Oakland that is working with um, really a marginalized population that is able now to access education and childcare and she said, and these entrepreneurs came in and they wanted to sit down with him and find out how he did it because they wanted to do it too. And she said, that didn't seem right. And I thought, oh, yes, it did. It seemed so right. If somebody could come in and say, we want to help you address this problem, and so what if we set up our own organization as long as we work as partners So the gift that I want to give today, Ted, in this program, which I forget how many years I've done it, but it's always something I look forward to so much. The gift I want to give to your listeners is really how to manage this now more populated space that was traditionally the purview of philanthropy only and say to impact investors, to B Corps, to other kinds of social entrepreneurs, yes. Yes, come and share our space. Help us accelerate what it is that we're trying to do. Carlos Slim at the time, the richest man in the world in 2012, he lamented that it seemed like we had put so much money and time and effort into so many of these issues and in his words, there's no difference. Well, I disagree with what he said but I also believe that that's the perception. So I want to then come around to this. Do we circle the wagons? Do we build silos? Or do we say to ourselves, what gifts do we in the philanthropic sector have to share with these newcomers to our sector? How can we partner with them for greater impact, and what have we learned that would help them? I'm bullish on philanthropy, as you know, and I believe that we have so much to offer those who want to help us solve problems, and they are coming our direction. They want to join with us, and yes, they're impatient with us. I would be the first to say that. They are impatient with us. But I went on the website for one of the largest corporations in America and found this Statement of philanthropic principles. And it read like something any of us would be very proud to state. It was Sam's Club. And I invite all of you to go on that website and see what their intention is in their communities. So, in this season of giving, here are the gifts I believe that we can give to those who wish to join with us in trying to solve problems, stem crises, address chronic issues and enrich our communities. The first well, thing, Ted, is an ethical platform. We pride ourselves in our sector in being ethical. And ethics means that we consider the donor, we consider the recipient, we consider our own platform of integrity, and we operate and make decisions all based in values. I believe so strongly that philanthropy is all about shared values. Our values manifest as our ethics. And, Ted, you were going to say something. Well, I
2: I wanted to – you've given us so much food for thought here. I wanted to uh, just sort of uh, respond to a few things that you said. I absolutely agree. Uh, Corporate uh, space um, is – Understanding, I think, philanthropy at a very different level, even a bit ahead of some nonprofits, uh, in that it is more than just the money. It is about impact and making a difference. Another company that I might mention to you is Medtronic. If you go to their website right oh, totally. now, um, you can see on their homepage, Let's Go Further Together. We are committed to transforming healthcare by working with new partners in new ways. How far can we help change healthcare? Um, Not the kind of statement, the forward-thinking community partner-based statement that you would normally expect a corporation to have out there, but but you might see a community-based healthcare network saying, we're committed to making a difference and transforming and working with new partners. Um, So the messaging is very similar, and I think it's because uh, philanthropy does work. Um, And I think that the reason why these messages are now popping up in other places, and as you mentioned, B Corps and, and, and other models, is because there is something very powerful in philanthropy, philanthropy done right. Um, and that's a topic that you and I have discussed a lot about. You also mentioned that you see yourself and, of course, you're, you're recognized around the world as being on the cutting edge and understanding where where is that next wave, what is coming in philanthropy so that we can understand it, we can harness it, and we can make sure that philanthropy continues to serve the communities uh that it exists in um and that's I, I feel the same way that's one of the reasons as you know i i uh, now run um one of the largest donor advised funds one of uh, we're now the two hundred and seventy eighth largest uh, charity in the country, so we in the philanthropy b four hundred here at calf America. Um, and donor-advised funds is one of those sort of new methods that you're mentioning where there are some in the nonprofit sector that sort of, you know, Don Quixote up against the, the donor-advised funds because they're, they're they're not the traditional form of funder where you can solicit them, send them a letter, send them a proposal, and get money. And so I think it confuses some people, yet... From my perspective, donor advised funds are one of the best things that's happened to philanthropy because literally hundreds of millions of dollars are donated waiting for very good causes and waiting for advice of the donors uh, to give to those causes. And so we don't have to sell those donors on the concept of philanthropy. It's just where they would like their money uh, to be spent. So the the concepts that you're putting out there are very real. What's happening in the philanthropic sector, I think, is vibrant and exciting, as, as you outlined. I do want to ask you if, if we might be able to have uh, take the conversation in two different ways. Uh, one is, I think oftentimes, um, because we know each other so well and because we've been doing this for quite some time, sometimes we may jump ahead of our audience and our listeners in what is philanthropy and where does that fit within the nonprofit sector and within our communities, and why is it this vibrant force? Because I, you mentioned earlier in your conversation that some people find it confusing or might not understand. And you you mentioned Mr. Slim saying, you know, we spent all this money, it doesn't seem like we've made any any difference. Um, And whether we agree with that or not, which we don't, um, it, it nonetheless is, I think, a problem in that it is a perception and it's a pretty widely held perception that nonprofits are inefficient and maybe ineffective and maybe not doing the work that they they need to do. So if we can kind of address that sort of structural issue. The other is I want to share with you something I'm very proud of and very excited about, and that is I just learned that my niece, Brittany, is listening to us today uh, on the show. And she doesn't know you, but I would love for her to know Kay Sprinkle Grace, so I wondered as we go forward, if you could share for Brittany, um, who is young, looking to make a big difference in the world, she's very bright, very smart, um, why should philanthropy be part of her life?
4: Oh, my goodness. Well, because it's the greatest gift you can have, is to have that that feeling. And if if you want to read something absolutely amazing that bridges from where we are to where we seem headed to where we need to go. And, Brittany, if you can put that together, you're as smart as your uncle, is that the Feel Good School of Philanthropy, which was an amazing article in the Review Sunday Review in the New York Times by Jamil Zaki, who is an assistant professor of psychology at Stanford. And he is director of the Stanford School of neuroscience, which is the behavioral aspect of philanthropy, but this article is all about empathy and philanthropy and how it is, and you get into the uh, unusual formation of the Zuckerberg-Chan structuring of their commitment to give away 99% of their wealth in their lifetimes, and you see kind of the, the emphasis on metrics and on measuring. And what this article calls for is, in fact, um, about all about the heart. It says, giving expresses our values and binds our community. If we leave room for more everyday, instinctive forms of kindness, we're actually doing ourselves a favor too. And it does talk about what we've always known is that volunteering and giving actually are life extenders, that seniors who continue to give, young people who get involved, it's a more energizing engagement. Because this sector, what I believe that we can, we can share with those who want to share our space, become partners with us in solving these problems, is the very thing that's about the heart, which is our storytelling. And I am not opposed to metrics. I think everybody should be measuring what they're doing. But I think we can get out of balance. And so when Brittany and other young people come along and they are confronted with, well, if I can't measure it, then how do I know if it's good? Well, let me tell you, you can't measure love. You really can't. And I'm a big fan of Le Petit Prince. And in The Little Prince, uh, Santa Zupri reminds us that the, the real things in life are invisible to the eye. And philanthropy is about a heart. And I think what we need to, to really transfer to those who want to partner with us, you know, not only the ethics, the high integrity, but that storytelling and the focus on the donor. It is about yeah. the donor's needs and wants. And as people get involved in philanthropy, they need to understand that the decisions that organizations make have the donor in mind because it is the donor investment that allows them to continue. And donors, we have an unusual... No, we've never had It's not unusual. This is a one-off. I don't believe ever before in the history of philanthropy in the U.S. Have we had what some organizations have, which is now nine decades in their database? They have teenagers and they have people in their 90s and into their hundreds. We have to remember all of them come to us not with their money because they don't know what to do with it, but with their heart and they follow it with their money because they want us to do what they want to see done in the community. We need to transfer that along with the stewardship. Stewardship, the ongoing relationship with the donor after the gift has been made. And, Ted, you've heard me say probably a thousand times, you know, that people give to us because we meet needs, not because we have needs. We need to convey the needs that we continue to meet because we always have to remember that gifts don't come to us. Gifts come through us into the community. We are the That's strong right. investment vehicle. We are ethical, we have high integrity. We invest that money well and we keep our donors linked to the results through our work. And we right. while people, you know, are are often so weary and they think we move so slowly. Well, we do have to start moving faster. There's nobody that believes that more than I do. But at the same time I don't want us to lose kind of the the decision making process that is characterized by the ethics and integrity that we've thought of it, and the the other big gift that I want us to give to those who enter our sector, whether it is you know the global impact investors, whether it is social entrepreneurs b corps whatever, the other thing I want us to give to them is that this is about pay it forward, and we have come to measure. I mean, you know, T.S. Eliot would have us measuring our life in teaspoons. We are measuring our lives by quarter, by quarter, by quarter. Decisions get made on quarterly performance. Philanthropy doesn't work that way. And there's a wonderful um, saying that I've learned in working with so many Jewish organizations, that we need to have the, the understanding that we will plant trees under which we will never sit. And we have this pay it forward in philanthropy, and whether it is the good deed, Brittany, that you do for someone, and then when they say, "Well, what can I do for you?", say, "Don't do it for me. Do it for someone else. Pay it that's forward." That's right. Yeah. I love
2: our conversations each holiday season uh, because we we always, no matter where we start, we always have um, and and take the opportunity to remind our listeners that it is that very concept that you just mentioned that we always talk about. And that's, as as I've shared on this show many times, that I I believe that the heart of nonprofit organizations, separate from philanthropy, because philanthropy – uh, predates nonprofit organizations
1: Absolutely. uh can
2: exist without nonprofit organizations and so i when i try to help audiences understand why are there nonprofit organizations why should they exist they don't exist because philanthropy exists they they exist because philanthropists exist and they see needs in their communities that they're not necessarily always able to meet themselves for instance, someone seeing someone who is hungry um, could go and feed that person. That's philanthropy. They don't have to give money to a soup kitchen to be a philanthropist. They don't have to go and, and build a shelter to be a philanthropist. You can go and give that person food. However, I think that the, the essence of Support of the philanthropic sector through nonprofits is because people are investing their money in organizations because they wish something to be done. They wish something to change. And they would go do it themselves if they had time, but they have careers and children and soccer games and they have all sorts of things that take time. But they take their resources and their assets and they invest them to say, listen. It's important to me that this happens, whatever it might be. That these students are educated, and these girls uh, have an opportunity to succeed, and and these people have food, and and they you know all the things that philanthropy helps support are because people are investing in good nonprofits. So, as you came to talk to us about today, is that sharing this space means that there are more tools available to make that
4: difference. That's exactly right, and I say. That this is, I, I just think that we are at the most exciting crossroads in philanthropy ever with nine decades of donors that we can turn to and with the, the invitation we can extend to others to partner with us. And think what we could learn from those partners. Well, I think the first thing we could learn from some of them is how can we be a little more nimble? And it's fascinating Uh, when I do studies with clients, I often test words that reflect the perception the person I'm talking to may have about our sector or that organization. They never choose nimble, never, (laughs) no matter the size of the organization. Nimble just doesn't go with us. And I want us to be nimble. I also, there was a McKinsey study that you may have read, That was, um, and you can get it online, and it's called What Social Sector CEOs Need. And what they they interviewed these social sector CEOs, and they said we need permission to take risks. And here, if we could partner with a sector out there, which, and certainly I I live here in the Silicon Valley. I live in San Francisco, which has now become part of the Silicon Valley, and. You know, the motto here is fail fast and pivot. Okay, we're never given that permission. We're not given the permission to try things. The other thing that the CEOs asked for, more time on the mission, that the the relentless bottom line, bottom line, bottom line, the accountability, while it's important that these CEOs said, give us some time for mission reflection, Give us some time to think, and I think that we must stand fast for what our sector has accomplished, and I think you only have to look at this last year, and then the years. Look at our comeback after the recession. I mean, it was simply amazing. People predicted, what, it was going to take 10 years for us to get back up to the giving levels, and
0: we've done it
4: already. We have done it already and i mean part of it is a robust economy but part of it too i think is the determination of our sector but let's let's partner with these new people in our space who want to see the same results but have a different idea about how they can accomplish let's exchange with them let's do a gift exchange ted and the gift exchange we give them the gifts of our focus on ethics, integrity, transparency, the donor focus, they give us the gift of how we could become more nimble, some support for risk-taking. How do you fail fast and pivot without apologizing all over the place? And then how about finally, at last, forever, shifting our messages away from the needs that we have to focus on the needs that we meet when are we ever going to stop rattling the tin cup when we ask for money? This is not what 21st century investors want. They want to feel Well, and I
2: think that's 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 the crux of it, right there, isn't it? Is that you know, 21st century, we're you know, we're going into 2016. Philanthropy has been changing and has been morphing, and you and I have seen it. We've been yeah. part of it. We've been help it, helping advise it to move in that direction. But I think, for I always, as you know, I always try to put this in the context of our listeners. And I think that while it is, in my opinion, undeniable what you're saying is correct, um, and that this is the direction it's going in. How do the listeners listeners of this show, which are, are typically nonprofit executives um, and donors, how do they come together and understand these concepts and bring this wave of change to their organization successfully, because I think it is as you and I saw you know back you know when the internet was was just starting up and and being used successfully by nonprofits back in two thousand, there were a whole host of folks who are saying, "Well, donors will never make a donation online, the internet, but probably not really effective for nonprofits and and of course, you know that 's all been debunked as most changes that then become the centerpiece of your work." But how do you embrace that? How do you understand that and not be scared of that? Because I do see um, a a trend in the nonprofit sector right now that because things are more complicated, because there are more players, um, it's confusing. And therefore, I think for a lot of folks, um, the, the sort of the knee jerk reaction is to react against it uh, or to work against it rather yeah. than to embrace it. So how right. do you embrace this sort of change?
4: By getting away from the focus on your organization to the focus on the mission. And Hank Rosso taught me 25 years ago that mission isn't what you do, it's why you do what you do, it is the human or societal need that you're meeting. And if we could just get to the point where it wasn't about XYZ organization, that in fact it was about the hungry, the homeless, enrichment through the arts, music in the schools, and how can we work together to make sure it happens. And I don't care if you're for-profit, non-profit, whatever. And this is where we stumble and fall, is that we focus way too much kind of on the entity of our organization. We look way too often in the mirror Instead of looking through the window, our work is through our windows. It is not in the mirror. Yes, we have to attend to our organization, but I can tell you, I've been doing some really important work with boards uh, recently and drawing heavily on Dick Chade and Barbara Taylor and Paul Ryan at Harvard, and their work in board, is it purpose or performance? I am increasingly convinced it is purpose. And that is leading to kind of performance that is perhaps not at the level most CEOs would like. But we need to get our boards lifted into the place, this kind of this mission space capsule. And this is our mission. It is to do these things. Who are we going to partner with? And how can we, in fact, help these partners understand that what they have entered into by joining with us in philanthropy is one of the most amazing experiences they will ever have. Because mm-hmm. the way that we measure impact is not just the bottom line. It may not even be just a double bottom line. We may be looking at a triple bottom line in creating, you know, h- human capital as well as social capital as well as our financial bottom line. We offer a three dimensional experience that can be absolutely riveting for people once they get involved with it and i honestly believe that if we could reconnect with mission not as i say what that 25 words or less that fits on the back of a business card that says what you do i could care less i want to know why you do it what is it and that, that is need that i see and part of part stuff? of
2: this discussion okay we 're going to take just a very quick break, um, just to update people on calendars and things of that sort. When we come back what, what i 'd like to do in at that point we'll have about uh, thirteen minutes left here in the show and what i want, want to do is to make sure that for those new partners um, who increasingly are listening to this show, um, nonprofits who are trying to understand how to make all this work and to incorporate all of these um, new partners is that there are things that are intrinsic to the nonprofit sector. There are reason why organizations are nonprofit versus for-profit. And understanding that nonprofits aren't nonprofit because they're inefficient or that they don't have resources, it is because they are a different kind of corporate animal that exists for a very specific reason. And let's make sure that we get that on the table when we be right back after this break. Of course, the conversation with Kay Sprinkle Grace is always so fascinating. We want to give every single minute we possibly can to that discussion. So this will be a very quick break, just to let you know and remind you that we are going on our winter hiatus, um, the holiday hiatus here on the nonprofit coach radio show, starting after this show. Um, So this is the last live show of 2015. We will be coming back live with a full schedule starting on January 19th. In the meantime, we want to wish you a very happy holiday and ask you to please listen and learn from the hundreds of experts that we've had here on The Nonprofit Coach by going to tedhart.com, and you can download and listen to all the podcasts of The Nonprofit Coach.
1: Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedheart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart.
2: And we are back here with the Doctor of Philanthropy, Kay Sprinkle-Grace, who is headquartered in San Francisco and always brings us uh, not only a very entertaining and interesting show, uh, but also very thought-provoking. And today, uh, you have raised a very important topic of multiple partners who are coming into the philanthropic sector, can cause confusion. But let's remind people of why nonprofits exist and why are they different than for-profits.
4: Well, they were, you know, it's, a, it's. A, I'm not going to go into all the legal and the tax structure, but it was a way of creating a third sector, um, and we often speak of it as the tripod of of kind of our economy. Uh, we have the business sector, we have government, and we have this third sector, if you will, and we're often called the third sector. There are publications called the third sector. The idea was not that we were less than the other two sectors. The idea was that we were different from the other two sectors. With that came some uh, tax benefits, um, and some of which have been under scrutiny, and uh, the conversation continues. But what we, I think, I think the problem, Ted, and you, you know, I think we need to put this out there again, is that as long as we are called nonprofits. We are the only sector of this economy that describes ourselves by what we're not. And so what are we? Well, we its you can hear a wide array of things, everything from public benefit sector to the social impact sector. Whatever it is, I am very hopeful that our alignment with new partners is going to cause us to gradually change out our name. And now I'm going to say something extremely controversial. And that is, as long as we are labeled charities, we will be looked upon as not as robust as the other two sectors of our economy. And because charity in the 21st century is, is not perceived as robust. It's perceived as needing help. And what's happened is that it's not the organizations that end up, you know, that people perceive that the organizations end up help needing help, instead of understanding that it is because we help people. So there's nothing wrong with charitable intent. There's nothing wrong with charitable giving. There's nothing wrong with charitable deductions. But we, I believe, as long as we are charities, I do not think we are going to attract this Almost, we have a half decade of the Generation Z. We have a full decade of millennials who are predicted to be the most generous generation since the greatest generation. But they're giving in very different ways. And we have some of the younger ones of, of Gen Y and or Gen X. And the point is that these people now between the ages of 18 and 45 are not, looking for charity. They're looking for social investment and they are looking for to make a difference. And so I think that we have to reset the vocabulary, if you will. Over my life's work in this sector, I've done a lot to shift the vocabulary. And when my first book came out, Beyond Fundraising, the subtitle, New Strategies for Innovation and Investment in nonprofits. I actually had people who called me, this was 1997, who called me and said, How could you put the word investment on the front of a fundraising book? I said, You didn't look at the title. The title says Beyond Fundraising. That whole idea of investment is now, yeah, really? Okay, sure. We have changed the vocabulary, but now we need to change the labels. And I would also say, I hope you caught my article in Advancing Philanthropy, the six-page spread that they did on donor-advised funds. um, Very impressive. Very impressive. And because I agree with you, these are a force for good, uh, but we also need to position ourselves as big-idea investment opportunities so people will move the money out of their fund and into the community. And so I, I really feel that if we could help ourselves by partnering with others who want to achieve the same goal and to help them understand what we offer as a sector and what our principles are, you know, why we have the board structure, why we do things the way we do, and I'm seeing far too many people who have money and they have a vision and a cause. And rather than bringing it to us, they start their own organization. We have online organizations that directly put the money, and whether it is GiveDirect, which is the one started by the MIT students and Harvard students, Mm That then gained a 2.4 million dollar gift from Google, where they load the, the the mobile phone of villagers in Kenya with a thousand dollars on the, through M-Pesa. There is no middle person. There are medical organizations where you can go online, you can fund three cleft lip and palate surgeries directly through Watsi, and there's no need. For an organization, the development director, my friends who started Cure Alzheimer's, they started their own organization. They run it the way she ran a venture capital uh, company. It is venture philanthropy, and everything goes into Alzheimer's research. And they had a huge breakthrough last year. Well, and we're we're seeing
2: that we we're seeing that in so many different ways, and that's that I think the internet in a lot of ways has changed philanthropy in that there is a demand for more transparency. There's a demand for more information, and if you're not providing that someone else will CAF um, right. you know, America here, uh, uh, America's international donor advice fund has grown 80 percent in the last three years. Part of the reason for that is that donors want to give directly in the countries that they want to have impact to right. charities on the ground. Whereas a decade ago, the only real option that you had was to make your donation through a large international NGO uh, that would promise at least a portion of that money might make it to that country and might make it a different might, might make a difference. It's not that they were doing anything wrong. It's that it was more of the filter effect um, with a very large bureaucracy, whereas I think philanthropists today, as, as you're, you're, you're stating, and certainly the models that we started to show off about these these partnerships – is more a message of the personal approach that philanthropy now has and that the Internet and other changes in, in our society have made it possible for philanthropists to feel that direct impact without necessarily having to filter it through someone else.
4: Exactly. And I'm going to do it directly, and I'm going to do it because because we have had this obsessive look at the cost of fundraising which I, I will say, I mean, it is important to keep tabs on it, but there are times, and the work that Adrian Sargent has been doing out of First IU and now he's back in the U.K., but I will tell you that this, this work does not reflect the startup nature of certain programs that we have. It is relentless, keep it to a certain percentage, and people say, oh, I'm not going to give to them because their overhead is too much. Now, that overhead might, in fact, be the startup of a fabulous new program, and you may have had to put in more administrative costs and more fundraising costs in order to meet the needs of your community. And so, anyway, all this is to say that we have lots of work to do and that I believe very much, first of all, that all donors are partners for positive change. And I think that if we can be more deliberate, more intentional and more visionary in engaging partners in our work, and be they local government, be they businesses, whatever they are, let's take a look at our communities. Let's, look, let's sit by the window and really look out there and say, what needs to be done? Can we do it by ourselves anymore? And if your answer is no, then think of who you can partner with. Because I think that that is the biggest gift we can give ourselves. I think the biggest gift we can give ourselves is to finally solve some of those things that Carlos Slim referred to in his somewhat cryptic comment that he made. And we're not going to solve them alone anymore, Ted. It's got to be in partnership with other caring citizens. And when we think about it as caring citizens, it's not quite so jarring as thinking that, oh, my goodness, we're going to partner with this, that, or the other kind of entity. And it does not dilute philanthropy. It strengthens it. Because if we give them the gifts that we have honed over the the centuries of organized philanthropy in America and increasingly around the world, I mean, I've worked in what is it, eight different countries this year. It's been absolutely a fabulous experience. And our greatest gift to this world was our deliberate export of philanthropy, where we helped create social sectors. And I think at a time when we are really worried about America's future, I will tell you that seeing philanthropy alive and well in Romania, Bulgaria, Czech Republic, Italy, Australia, wherever it is, it is a gift that we have given. And so I would like each person who's listening, and Brittany, you too, um, give yourselves a gift. Think about how you can reach out and partner with others who may seem now to be encroaching on your space. Talk with them. Have that generative thinking that we so desperately crave, and say, how together can we make our communities a better place, a brighter place? Well,
2: okay. As always, a a message of hope, a message of the future, looking at the future of philanthropy right here on The Nonprofit Coach. a great way to end our calendar year with you, and I know that uh, Diane will have you back on the show uh, a year from now, so we're already looking forward to that. Uh, We've only got a minute left. How can my listeners
3: reach you?
4: You may reach me uh, at... K Sprinkle Grace and Sprinkle is E L <laughs> not L E S K Sprinkle Grace at either gmail.com or AOL.com. Uh, my website is www.kgrace.org, and I'd love to hear from you.
2: Happy holidays, K Sprinkle Grace. Holidays, and thank you once again for a terrific holiday show and a terrific way for us to in a very thoughtful way end two
1: thousand fifteen. We'll uh, look forward to having you here on the show again
4: next year. Thank you so much, and happy holidays, everybody.
1: You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcasts at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach.